0: Our Heavenly Father, we come before your throne this morning, Lord, just so very mindful of all you do for us, Father, of who you are, the love you bring to us, Father. I'm mindful of that in the service, Lord, about this love that you have for us that that we just can't even define with words, Father. Thank you for that. We just want to know you, God. That is our cry today. Our call today is just to know you better. Will you please allow that? Will you please help us to know to know you better? And still in our hearts, will you please just slow our minds down right now? We've got so many things going on in our hearts and minds. Will you slow us down so that we can turn our attention to this word, Lord, so that we can, in fact, when we stand up, know you a little better than we did yesterday, Father, That is our goal. In this season, Father, we are just so very mindful of the thing, of the gift that you brought of Jesus. And we thank you for Jesus and the impact that the name Jesus has on each person in this room. The hope, the relationship restored, the forgiveness, the grace, the mercy, all afforded by on that midnight clear we talk about in our song, Father. So we're mindful of that and we just, we stop and and take in a deep breath and just say with an incredible attitude of thanks thank you for bringing your son father we have so many people in this room that that are struggling lord and and just different aspects of life that we want to be mindful and we petition you you we're called to cry out to you lord so we do that we cry out on behalf of megan magnavra and for bill for his cancer and his treatment father we cry out to you, Father, for, for uh, peace and healing, Lord. Just pray that you will be with those families and, and the families of each person in here who is dealing with, with health issues, Father. That they will know that we are praying before the, your throne, Lord, and that you are mindful of your people in the midst of the struggles of health and finances and relationship issues, Father. We want to remember Deborah and, and the way that you are providing for her, and this, this home that's available, Lord, will you please provide f- this gift that we need, Lord? Will you put it on the hearts of your people to help her with the, uh, the ability to buy this property? And we want ask that you be with her in, the, in her ministry. We wanna remember her each week, Father. And Lord, now we ask that you be with our, our leaders, our city and our state and our national leaders. Will you be a part of their, of their decision-making process? Will you be heavy? On their hearts. And now, Father, will you be with our brother Cliff as he presents this word to us this morning? And again, that we can just turn our attention directly to his words, that you would use him as the instrument that he is. We pray all this, Father, uh, through Jesus Christ, your son and our brother.
1: Amen. John 17, I started that last week, and we're going to continue under this uh, topic or this idea of the real. Lord's Prayer. I had said to you last week that this prayer uh, that is recorded here is uh, the longest uh, prayer that we have. In, recorded that Jesus prayed. Uh, sometimes it's called the high priestly prayer. Uh, sometimes it's called other names, but it's the longest one. And I've said on different occasions that it's the real Lord's Prayer in the sense that Jesus is praying here. And as he prays, at least in my thinking, I see some things that that are instructive and helpful to me. And I call it the real Lord's Prayer. You know, I, I, we, we tell our students all the time at the university whenever they... Uh, um, turn a paper in or are doing some research, that one of the real challenges now because of Google and the internet and all of these things is what we call fake news or even fake research. Uh, we've talked about at the university having a class that actually teaches students how to assess whether or not a website is real or is it some fake uh, uh, outfit that's trying to just communicate matters. And, of course, you're probably hearing a lot about it on the news now, about fake news, about how it's affected uh, maybe an election or maybe our country. Uh, that's, that's nothing new. Uh, this has been something that we've been wrestling with for a long time. Students will come to class and say, well, I read this on the Internet. And I said, did you check it? Well, yeah, it's on the internet. And I said, Well, you know, not everything is true that's on the internet. I mean, Abraham Lincoln said that a long time ago. And they just, uh huh, yeah. Yeah, I got to sometimes find another job. <clears throat> yeah, I'm, too, I'm too strong a medicine for some of these kids. But the idea of real, the real uh, matter about uh, the Lord's Prayer. And so I want to look at that. on your outline, I left a couple of things from last week because I really want to check up on you. I'm in teacher mode uh, right now. And we had said that one of the things, notice there in 17, it says, Jesus spoke these things and lifting his eyes, he said, Father. Now, the, the couple of things that we had there last week was this, the posture of prayer, the posture of prayer, I shared with you that much of the New Testament and much of Judaism suggests that the only time people bow their heads in prayer is on repentance in those matters. Typically, the posture of prayer in the Old Testament and the New Testament is to lift up your eyes to God. Now, I gave you an assignment last week that part of your assignment would be that as you pray and as you go through the week, that you, when you pray at least one time during the week, you lift your eyes upward as you pray. Anybody do that? Oh, yeah, good. Did, I, you know, I did, did, did anybody find it a little difficult? Huh? I, I did. <clears throat> you know, I mean, I, I'm, I'm doing, and by the way, I, I, uh, last week when we ended class after I waxed eloquently about this, you know, really, really spoke some great stuff. Do you notice what I did when we prayed? At the end, what'd I do? Huh? I bowed my head Did you notice at the end, I said, now, do you know why? Because as I did that, it's like the Spirit said to me, get your eyes open, look up. (laughs) You know, really, I mean, I'm serious. I'm like that, now, Lord, thank you. And the Lord said, lift your eyes, look up. I I want you to continue to practice that. That's a a thing. I had lunch with some guys this weekend. We got ready to pray, and one of these, uh, two of these smart alecks are in this class. And uh, we're at a restaurant in public, you know, we're trying to pray like this anyway. Dear Lord, please uh, bless our food here. You know, you see people pray like that, you know. And one of these guys goes, no, 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 we got to look up. So here we are at the restaurant downtown. Lord, we thank you for this food and the wonderful time that we have together. And I'm thinking, man, these guys are taking this way too far, you know. <laughs> I won't tell you their name, but their initials are Dick Greenley and David Plemons. But uh, that's her uh, but but anyway, so so when you're, when you're practicing this, let me just suggest to you, this is the posture of prayer. Standing and looking. At, now, I'm not saying that you can't kneel. I, I'm not saying that you can't bow your head. I just said last week, and I just want to hit this because I think this is critical for our living. If you're bowing your head and you're closing your eyes, because you are showing reverence to God or try to not be distracted, that's fine. But if there's in that practice a bit of shame, God doesn't want to see your face. You're, you're, you're not worthy to come before him. You need to think about that. You need to consider that there's more going on there than needs to be. If the, the real issue is I feel ashamed or I feel unworthy, well, that's okay, you are. I am too. But God asked us to lift up our face and lift our eyes. So I, I hope you, I tried that. I, I got a, an email like that. Any, anybody get any insight from that that did it that could tell us? It's okay. You don't have to. I know there's a couple introverts in here. Not an insight. Not an insight, but? but just every time I do it, it just makes me smile. Said, not an in, for a recording, not, a, not an insight, but every time she does it, it makes her smile. Cool good anybody else did did you do anything with that what, I mean it was tense for me it, it, it creates some tension at times because it's unnatural you know and I'm not saying you can't ever pray yeah distracting <clears throat> you see too much now see that's what I'm saying if you close your eyes when you pray to to keep that that's fine I think and that's okay and some of us have to do that my problem is when I close my eyes I get more distracted because all those things going on in my brain at one time, you know, like I can't see anything else. So. But the, I think that's a legitimate thing to close your eyes if it helps you concentrate.
0: Yeah. Uh, I
1: wasn't privileged to be here last night. Shame on you. But I just had a thought, <coughs> uh, what about raising your face even if you're going to close your eyes? Yes, I, yeah. Because as you Yeah, she's saying, you know, what if you close your eyes because you want to not be distracted, but, but raise your face to God to let him, to, 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 at least in your posture that you're opening your life up to. Yeah, I think, that's, I think that's a great thing. Again, I'm not saying don't ever close your eyes or don't ever bow your head. In fact, this week something happened uh, that I'll maybe tell you about later after we get back, but uh, just an incredible experience. Um, it's hard to explain. Uh, but I literally prostrated myself on the floor before God. Not out of shame or sorrow, out of incredible thankfulness. So I'm not trying to give you kind of a a routine that you have to do. Uh, I I just, out of incredible thankfulness, I just prostrated myself before God. Uh, But regularly, generally, the posture of prayer is to lift your face. And to look up. Uh, The other thing uh, we talked about real quick was the person of prayer. Notice when it said, "In Jesus lifting his eyes, he calls somebody." He says, "Father." And I think that's a critical piece there for us that whenever we pray, as this Lord prayer shows us, who is it we see when we look up? Do we see a drill instructor? Do we see somebody who can never be pleased? Do we see someone who just wants to work us to death? Do we see someone who is so disappointed in us? I've told you, know Louis Palau, who's a great uh, uh, Hispanic or, or Latin American uh, evangelist, he said he often said, "Listen, don't ever worry that God is ever disillusioned with you. He never had any illusions about you to begin with, right? God can't be disillusioned with me and you. He doesn't have any illusions about us. He doesn't think Cliff's this, and he's really that. But who do you see? Now, I want to give you a verse because I, I didn't get this in here, and I really want this. I want you to turn your Bibles real quick, um, how important I think this is, to Ephesians chapter 1. We're going to come back to John. But Ephesians chapter 1, <clears throat> and I've talked to you about this verse before, but I want to connect it really with this idea, if you will, of who do you see when you pray? Who, who do you really see when you pray? When you look up, when I look up, i got to remember where Ephesians is. Yeah, that's right, isn't it? Goodness gracious. I've been grading too many papers. Uh, After Paul uh, 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 talks about or writes about the greatness of the gospel in verse 15, in verse 15, I want you to notice what he says here. For this reason I too having heard of the faith in the Lord Jesus that exists among you. Now, I want you to understand the, the kind of people he's talking about here. These are the kind of people <clears throat> that you hear about their faith. These are pretty solid folks. You know, you can hear about people talk about their faith, but he says, I, 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 you know, this reason, having heard of your faith, which exists among you and your love for all the saints, I don't cease praying and giving thanks and mention for you in my prayers. What? That, verse 17, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. Look look at that. I'm praying that the Father will give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. This idea that as wonderful as these people are, And as, if you will, great as their life is for faith and love, he's praying to have a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of God. This is a verse I pray for myself every day. Every day. And it's this. You know, some of y'all are old enough like me. You remember the, uh, the musical? I mean, probably most of you are Christians, you don't. But you ever remember the musical God Spell? You remember that? There was a lot of controversy about it. I'm not, I don't endorse all of it. There was some of it that was very uh, sacrilegious. But there was a song that was sung in that uh, thing that, that gets at this, and I say it every day. It's this, that I would see you more clearly, and I would love you more dearly so I can follow you more nearly day by day. Remember that day by day, day by day, these three words I say, to see you more clearly. That's part of Paul's prayer out there. To see you more clearly, that you would have the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him. I've said to you before, and you've got that on your list, that the most important thought in your brain, the most important thought in your life is this, about that, is what comes in our mind when we think about God is the most important thing about us. When we, whatever comes into your brain, when you, when you look up, when I look up in prayer, whatever we, whoever we see or whatever we think is the most important thought in your mind. This other thought by William Temple, if your conception of God is radically false, then the more devout or more religious or more serious you are, the worse it's going to be for you. You are opening your soul to be molded by something base. You had much better, uh, it would be better for you to be an atheist. Now, that's strong medicine. But that comes back to this point, again, the person that you see, okay? So I just, I wanted, I wanted to lift that out because I'm telling you, I pray this Ephesians 1, 15 through 17, early through 19 for my life every day that I will see you more clearly, that I will love you more dearly and I will follow you more nearly. I, there are a lot of days when I pray that and just spend my time in that, those statements and that's my prayer and I follow it through the day. Okay, now here, let's go on, the plan of God. Look what Jesus said here. I just wanna kind of give you a refresher there. Jesus said, lifting up his eyes, he said, Father, the hour has come, glorify the Son, he may glorify you even as you gave him authority over all flesh, that to whom all you have given him, he may give eternal life. And this is eternal life. You you know, that ought to be marked up in your Bible there. That ought to be underlined son, because Jesus is making a statement. He's saying, hey, this is eternal life. You want to know what it is? This is what it is. This is eternal. This is God's Plan. This is God's way of working. He said, This is eternal life that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you've sent. This idea of a plan. God has a plan for our life. We hear that all the time, but I want us to look a little more closely at that. You know, I said this and I was looking at my notes. I said, We're kind of in the midst of the holiday eating season. Uh, I don't know about you, but, you know, I used to, anybody old enough to remember when you used to have some scales and you'd put a dime or a nickel or a penny in and it would say something to you? Remember those? Yeah, I got on one the other day and it said, one at a time, please. <laughs> yeah, you know? Everybody's got a diet plan. You know, I, I even looked some up. I, I really, these, are, these are, they're all on the internet, so they're true. Uh, I've heard of this one. There's the Adkins, Adkins diet plan. There's the Dr. Oz ultimate diet plan. I like that. Dr. Phil must have been a little upset because Dr. Phil has the ultimate weight solution. This is my favorite one, the Hollywood cookie diet. I'm all for that. Yeah. The, the, they all have a plan, right? Here's the plan. This is how you lose weight. This is how you're going to take it off. This is how you to keep it off. Listen, God has a plan, and his plan is that we would have eternal life. And that life is what? That you may know him, right? It says there, and this is eternal life that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ in whom you sent. Now, I wanna look at that just for a minute because I think this is, if you will, God's plan. This is eternal life that they would know you. Let's talk about eternal life first. I wanna give you a point here, not quantitative. Now, I'm getting above my pay grade but, you know, quantitative analysis is like math and numbers and stuff like that. And I told you, I'd, you know, I, didn't, I didn't have trouble with math until I started multiplying letters. And then I'm out. Quantitative analysis is, is this idea of how much, how many, how many widgets did we sell. There's a quantitative analysis there. I, I want to just remind you that eternal life cannot be quantitative. How much? If it is... Everybody's got it. Because the Bible seems to me to be pretty clear that everybody's gonna live somewhere forever, right? This, this, this idea of eternal life isn't that, that, that we just gonna live forever. And yet when you talk to people about eternal life, they talk about going to heaven and that kind of thing. And there's a piece of that, but I wanna push it a little hard here. That eternal life cannot be quantitative. It cannot be. Or everybody's got it because everyone will live forever somewhere. So when Jesus is speaking about eternal life, we, t- we tend to think, "Well, going to live forever?" No, oh no, that's that's not it. That's not it. Eternal life is not that. There is this idea of qualitative. It's a kind of life. You know, I I asked my students, would you rather have, of course, they don't always work with me well. You know, I've been to Chicago and had um, um, just lost the name, the pizza, pizza duo, isn't that it? No, it's pizza duo. I think it, you know, it comes out like that thick and it's like cake crust. It's like we ordered one one time in Chicago. I said, we'll never eat all that. We ate all of it, right? And I would say to them, "Would you rather have one of those pizza duos, beautiful, or ten little seizures?" They always say ten little seizures because they're kids; they're, their taste buds have not developed yet. You know. I say, "No, not, not me, man. I'd rather have one." Why? It's a different quality, a quality, not a quantity. A quality. See, eternal life has to be qualitative, because Jesus said in John ten ten, "I have come." That you might have life. That must mean you don't. I don't. See, Jesus said, I've come that you might have life. And I want to say this to you. And I, I've been really grinding around the edges of this for some time, but I want to really come at it straight. Listen, my problem and your problem, I know this is going to sound heretical, but good thing we don't have Sunday school for two weeks, is not Sin. My problem and your problem is not sin. My problem and your problem is where am I looking for life? I've suggested to you before that sin is trying to find life somewhere else other than God. The sin is the symptom, not the cause. Our problem is not sin, that's the symptom. But you hear people talk about eternal life and it's only that Jesus died on the cross to forgive our sins so we can live in heaven forever. That's not the life issue, that's the symptom issue. Jesus does need to deal with our sin and forgive it. But our problem is not that we're sinners, it's that we're dead and we're looking for life somewhere else. I want you to think about that. Because when he says, I've come that you might have life and have it abundantly, that doesn't mean just more fully That doesn't mean that it's just going to be better. There are two words that are used for life in the Greek New Testament. One is bios, which we get the word biology from, and the other one is zoe. And zoe, Z-O-E, if you're heard of name zoe or something like that, zoe is the word that is used that means life that only comes from God. See, Jesus didn't come to make bad people good. Listen, if you think that, then there are a lot of religions that can compete with Christianity line for line. There are a lot of religions who their people are good, right? There are people who are atheists who are good. There are people who don't believe a thing in this world that are good. Their problem is they don't have zoe we got we to get this straight in our head. Eternal life is not a quali- quantity of life. It isn't that I'm just going to live in heaven. It's a quality of life that I live right now. That's what eternal life is. And I want to suggest to you again, sin is always when we're looking for life somewhere other than God. This will make me fulfilled. This will give me meaning. This will make my life complete. That's when we begin to look for life somewhere else. You don't believe it. Look at Ephesians later. Ephesians chapter 2. Paul said, you who were dead in trespasses and sins. Christ made you alive. One of my favorite thoughts here uh, and related to this, and I've I've told you this, but i just remind you. Um, John Wesley's favorite definition of the Christian life that he gave over and over again was this, and he stole it from Charles Scorgall. The life of God in the soul of man. That's what salvation is. The life of God in the soul of a man and a woman. That's why I don't ever ask people, are you lost or are you saved? I just ask people, is there anybody in there but you? That's the question. Is there anybody in there but you? Or, or are you just religious and disciplined and you've got activities nailed down, you know, when it's cold on Sunday morning, come to church? See, Jesus said, I've come that you might have life, eternal life. And this life is in the sun, And it's life that Jesus... Just go, go do a statistical study, quantitative analysis of the New Testament Gospels, and you will discover that Jesus spoke about life four times more than he ever did about forgiveness. Because he knew that forgiveness was the symptom, or sin was the symptom of people that don't have power or life. We've been treating the symptom and not the cause. So we need to see what Jesus says here. This is eternal life. Not just life forever, because everybody's got that. But the kind of life, the qualitative kind of life, of the life of God in the soul of man. And then notice what he says. Here it is. He says not only this, it's, uh, I think I got that. Yeah, that's right. I have to check my PowerPoint slides here. He said, This is eternal life. What? That they would know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ you've been sent. Now notice this: to know. To know. Now the Greek term here, the idea, has varying shades of understanding. But it communicates contextually here more than, I'll give it to you right here, it's more than comprehension. It's more than comprehension of facts or truth. John Wesley, again, often said that orthodoxy is more than correct beliefs. Orthodoxy is more than correct beliefs and ideas. You could pass a Bible test. Jesus is using a word here that means more than that. You know, if it doesn't, notice this. You can write these down later. It's more than the comprehension of facts. If if being able to declare who Jesus is and being able to have a, a, an orthodox understanding of truth then you got problems in the gospel of mark because every time one of the demons f- runs into jesus here's what they say i know who you are you are the christ the son of the living god mark 124 additionally in mark 3:11 in fact you ever study the book of mark go through the whole book, maybe read it once and I hope it's you You realize this, the only people who know who Jesus is are demons. Peter seems to know a little bit, just barely. Because when Jesus said he's gonna go, Jesus has to rebuke him. You go look through there. There's seven times in the book of Mark where Jesus has declared who he is. Five of them are demons. One time is Peter. And the last one is the Roman soldier at the cross. So if mere comprehension of ideas, just saying, well, I know, you know, Jesus is the son of God. He's uh, born of a virgin, born in Bethlehem. This, this, this knowledge is more than comprehension. It's more than just some information. It's also more than, it's also more than uh, just um, uh, a a one-time belief a one-time belief. The verb here—it's interesting. He said, "This is eternal life that they may know." No, that 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 verb or the word there—know—is a verb. Know or knowing is a present tense. I hadn't noticed this till recently. It's a present tense verb. It's the idea of knowing and continuing to know, knowing. And continuing to know. It's not what we call the inceptive or inceptive present. Just It started, okay, I'm standing here. But it's the idea I'm standing and I keep standing. It's called the durative present. It's sort of like, you know, whenever Becky and I got married some years ago, across from a feedlot. Still didn't smell like money. I remember thinking I knew a lot about Becky. And I knew some things you know, that I was uh, uh, interested in and attracted to and knew about her, the kind of person she was. But I, at some some years ago, I mean, it was about eight years ago, we were uh, uh, going down uh, uh, to see my parents in Texas, and we're driving down, and I had had to teach a class that night uh, kind of late, and so I was really tired, so we got out late, filled the car, weren't driving along, and we're down about, you know, Ardmore, right around that area. We had to go down by Houston, and I said, boy, I tell you, I'm really sorry, Beck. Now, we've been married about 30 years at this point, 29. And I said, I'm really sorry that we're getting away so late because, you know, I, I was just so tired. I said, uh, you know, but uh, we'll get down there. But, you know, I know you really wanted to go down and see my folks and go into to Louisiana. And she goes, I wanted to go. I said, yeah. She goes, I thought you wanted to go. I said, no, I thought you wanted to go. And we've been married 30 years, right? And I'm saying, why didn't you tell me that? Well, I thought you wanted to. We called my mom up and said, We're not coming. We turned around, ate Mexican food in Ardmore, came back to the house and took a three-hour nap. <laughs> Anybody discovered that after they've been married for a while, you don't know everything about your mate? Huh? Anybody figured that out yet? We're driving down the road at times. I'll say, What? She goes, You didn't know that? I didn't know that. You didn't tell me that. See, this is the idea that Jesus is referring to. This idea of it, knowing and continuing to know. It isn't a one-time thing. It isn't just an inception of, of knowledge here to all of a sudden, you know, okay, I know. Okay, I got this understanding. It's knowing and growing in our knowledge. Is there anything you've learned about Jesus in the last year? Is there anything you've learned about Jesus? Is there anything your knowledge of him or your understanding of Him is growing. Jesus said, This is what eternal life is that you know me. Now, it's a carryover from the Old Testament, but this word, know, it's more than just comprehension, it's more than just a one time thing. Here's what it is it's personal knowledge gained through interaction, it's personal knowledge gained through interaction um, in hebrew you might you might know that in hebrew in the old testament the word for no is yada it's the word that is used in torah when it says that adam knew eve and bore him a son he didn't just say hey that's eve hi they had an intimate relationship with one another. They knew one another in this intimate, personal relationship. You know, isn't not it, it interesting? In the Old Testament, whenever the prophets ever speak about Israel when they sin or, or you know get off the rails, God doesn't say you broke the law. The imagery in the Old Testament is always a wife who's been deserted by her husband. Go check it out. It's always a wife who's been deserted by her husband. This, this knowledge, this knowing is intimate and personal. And, and, and I just want to suggest to you that God's plan, that's what we're working on here, God's plan is that you and I would have life that's more than length and life that is the result of knowing Him personally. I want to give you a couple of verses here that just suggest this. This will help. I hope the plan. I want, I'm just going to ask you to look at these. Go to your table of contents or your Bible, or your phone. Or go to First Corinthians, First Corinthians. And I'm going to suggest, if you will, or as best I can, to walk you through just a, some of the verses that are discussing this matter. You know, sometimes people say to me, you know, what is, what is God's plan for my life? And I, and I, and I understand that, that language, but here's what God's plan is. Look here at James, oh, sorry, 1 Corinthians chapter 1. I'm going to begin reading at verse 4 when it says, I thank God always concerning you for the grace that God has been given to you in Christ Jesus. Verse 5, that in everything you were enriched in him in all speech and all knowledge even as the testimony concerning Christ was confirmed in you, so that you're not lacking in anything or eagerly awaiting the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will also confirm you to the end, blameless in the day of our Lord. Verse 9, God is faithful to whom you were called into fellowship with his son. Listen, God did not call you to go to work for him. God didn't call you to keep you busy until he returns. He called you to fellowship. You want to know what your calling is? There it is. I I meet people all the time that they seem to have the notion, I had the notion for a long time, that God just wanted to work me to death. He, He just had all kinds of stuff that had to get done. And I became a good worker, B. I was a good worker. In the mafia, I was a good earner. But I'm your relationship. I, I, I didn't know that Jesus call, God called me into fellowship. That out of that fellowship there may be work, and out of that fellowship, there may be effort. And out of that out of that fellowship there may be service. But it's always out of fellowship. That koinonia, the, the idea we share in common. We share in common. That's what the word koinonia means. It comes from koine, which means common. It's like Greek common language. No, onia is the, the idea of housing it together. We, we have in common together. Is that your understanding of knowing Jesus? That, that he called you, called me, to have fellowship with him? I don't wake up and get my orders every day. I wake up and say, let's begin again. Let's let's live this life, this this experience of fellowship with you. And and that's what's gonna be great about the holidays. You know, we're gonna have family, they're gonna come in we like, and then others will deal with. But you know. I mean, I, I have guys that I I meet with on a fairly regular basis. There's no agenda. There's no agenda. We, we don't know what we're going to talk about. We don't know what we're going to do. We're going to eat. We know that always. You know, It's got to be spiritual. What are we doing to our relationship with God when every time we go there, we have an expectation? You know what would happen to my friendships? Like, okay, now listen, we got to get this done, got to get this done. Get this. I'd probably have some of them say, I think I'll pass. We're in our centered group in We were talking about this, and I said, wait a minute, guys, listen, you would destroy a friendship if every time you went to them, you had an agenda, or you had some kind of outcome, or you had some kind of thing that had to happen, instead of just saying, man, it's great to be with you, right? Do you, do you, do you, is that what eternal life is, to, to know him, where when I go to prayer, I don't have to feel a certain way, or I don't have to get a certain thing, or I don't have to 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 accomplish something. I'm just there. I've said this to God before, and I, I because I heard a guy say this before. I said, uh, "Listen, if you don't want to say anything to me, that's fine. But I'm here to waste 20 minutes on you." <laughs> Anybody waste 20 minutes on Facebook this week? <laughs> Anybody waste 20 minutes watching a show you didn't even like? Anybody waste watching a? Football, I watched a football game. I, I'm, I'm so needy. I, need, I watched Northern Alabama and Northwestern Missouri. I have, who are these guys? What, I was watching a ball game. Oh man, go, because yeah, the Cowboys don't play again till later. Listen, God called you to fellowship first, okay? That's his plan for you. It's his plan for me. And out of that living and out of that knowing and out of that relationship that our lives begin to matter. Look here. Look, here's another one. Uh, first, go, go right. Keep going right. I'm going to walk you through uh, uh, Ephesians. <clears throat> oh, we already read that. Uh, go to Philippians. Philippians. Look at Philippians chapter three. This idea of knowing. This idea of knowing, this is God's plan for fellowship. This is the great apostle Paul. He says in verse seven, chapter three, verse seven, but whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things as loss for the surpassing value of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord. What does he say? Everything else is lost, everything else is less for the greatness of knowing. Knowing, this is eternal life, that they might know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ. This is what I, listen, everything is lost to me for the value, the wonder of knowing him. There's a song, uh, I was going to try to get the video, so I'll just, I've got the words here, by Steve Green. I, I love him. He's got this beautiful voice, and he he wrote a song. I used to sing it at my old church every once in a while, because, uh It just, uh, it spoke to me when it says this, just the time I feel that I've been caught in the mire of self, just the time I feel my mind's been bought by worldly wealth. That's when the breeze begins to blow. I know the spirit's call and all my worldly wanderings just melt into his love. Oh, I want to know you more. Deep within my soul, I want to know you. Oh, I want to know you. And I would give my final breath to know you in your death and resurrection. Oh, I want to know you more. Uh, this, this song by Steve Green, if you, you have time to Google it and, and go to YouTube, we were gonna try to play it. We had some problems but this is the, this is the plan for God for, of God for you. This, this is the understanding, if you will, of what Jesus' prayer is trying to tell us. This is eternal life. A.W. Tozer, guy quote there, said that there are a lot of people that will be satisfied just with intellectual information. intellectual. That's okay. There's a good, good place for that. But he said they, they, they will experience that and understand it and know that. But he said they will turn their tear-stained faces to go to a closet to pray that they might know him. Listen, I know more about him than I know him. I've told you before, one of the great dangers that I have as a teacher here at the church and at the university is I sound like I know God better than I do. If you knew me and you knew at times the struggle that I had to say, God, help me to know you. Help me to know you. Now, that's not all my energy. Helping to know him is to know that he's been fully revealed in Jesus. This isn't just self-effort. Oh, I'm going to get to know you. I'm going to work harder at this. No, this is saying, where is it that I find the knowledge of God? Hebrews 1 says, in many and various ways, God spoke to our fathers through the prophets, but in these last days, he's spoken to us in his son, who is the very radiance of his glory and the exact representation of his nature. Hebrews 1, 1 to 4. You want to get to know Jesus? You want to get to know him? I would just suggest bury your nose in the gospels. Bury your nose in the gospels. There are lots of other good things to read in scripture, but bury your nose in the in the gospel. Here's an application we could do this week, I think. Here it is. What if this week, uh, look at the star on the lights of the tree and remember that the light of the world came to give us light, give us life. Or if you invest 10 minutes one day this week, read John 1, 1 to 5 and meditate. It says there that in Jesus was light and in him was the life for the world. There's an interesting connection between light and life. In him was light and the darkness did not come. And he was the life for all men. This to me is the the essence of what Jesus' prayer is attempting to communicate to us is that God's plan is that we would know him. Guys, it just says this. This is eternal life. This is eternal life that they would know you. Then second, the last thing here we're going to look at is this, the purpose of life. The purpose of life. We're going to look at that here. You know, uh, there's some research that indicates that, and I'll just read it to you here, did a little research and said this is true, that people who have a sense of purpose in life, according to Dr. Patricia Boyle, a neuropsychologist at the Alzheimer's Disease Center in Chicago, Found that people live two point four, t- or people who do not have a purpose in life are two two point four times more likely to get Alzheimer's. I don't I don't know what the physiological connection is, but the, from the Chicago Center on Alzheimer's Disease is that people that don't have a strong continual purpose in life are two point four times more likely to develop Alzheimer's. There's also some research from y'all heard of blue zones before. Blue zones are where people live over to over a hundred. Uh, uh, the, the guy Weir uh, for ABC did a big study on that. They said this, that people who are identified for the centenarians who live that had a strong sense of purpose. In 2014, researchers used data and tracked adults over 14 years and found that having a purpose in life is widely a buffer against mortality across the years. A purpose, a purpose. What is that? This idea of Jesus here, watch what he says. I glorified you on the earth, having accomplished the work that you've given me to do. Now, Father, glorify me together with you, yourself, and the glory which I had with you before the world was. I want to suggest to you that the purpose in life that Jesus here is illuminating for us is to bring glory to God, to bring glory to God. We'll look at that here in just a second, but just think about this. There are lots of times when people, if you lose a job or have to retire or all kinds of things, suddenly have no purpose in life. All of a sudden now, you know, you can only sleep so many days in until you've done that. You know, I've told somebody when I retire, if I ever do, I said, the one thing I'm going to do is I'm going to read the newspaper every day and I'm taking myself out to breakfast every day. But that's not all I'm going to do. There's some purpose here for our life, to bring glory to God. Um, the word glory here that Jesus uses several times, the word glorify in one sense means to make much of, to make much of. Uh, John Piper has said this, that, that, that this idea of, of glorifying God is when we make much of him, we, we declare his greatness and his renown. I I, I wonder if sometimes in the busyness of life, and we all get it, that we forget that our real purpose in life is not just to take care of our family, which is great, we should do that. And not just that we should be good citizens, that's fine too. But that in what we do, we would bring glory to God. Now the word glory, kavod in Hebrew, is the idea of heaviness, substantiveness, but it also carries the idea of shining, shekinah, shekinah. That's the idea of the shekinah glory, the, the, the shining. The idea is that, that glory is when something is made much of, if, if you will, it's made much of and it has some sort of shining capacity to it. I, I've wondered about that in, in our lives, our people's lives. That we bring some substance to our circles of influence, or we we bring some some reality to who we are and what Christ is, and people can see God shining. I've told you before, you know, people have said to Becky before, they just get around and say, You're a Christian, aren't you? I never had them say that to me. I've had them say, Are you a car salesman? (laughs) Nothing wrong with car salesman. They said, Are you a preacher? yeah see what what is it that our light shine our life shines does it bring glory to god i I asked my students this the other day what if you quit asking yourself in your work and jesus said here i've 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 completed the work you gave me to do what what if you ask yourself in your daily life in your work quit ask is this wrong is this a sin am I going to get in trouble i've asked I've told you guys this but ask what? Will this bring glory to God? See, it would simplify a lot of things in our lives. If, if it wasn't, if we weren't just at, like, was it wrong? Or am I going to get caught? Or is it bad? Or is it a sin? You know, my students want to know where that line is. Hey Cliff, can I do this and still be a Christian? And say, well, I say, I guess, I don't know. I'll tell you this, you don't have much, you don't have much margin here. If you get up to the edge, if you want to live life up against the edge, can I do this and still be a Christian? Can I do this and still be a Christian, Cliff? Can I? I guess. I don't know. I, you, know you don't have to answer to me. But that's the wrong question. The right question would be, does this activity or does this thing bring glory to God? And what, is what I'm doing bringing glory to God? I had a student come to me the other day, the day after class sometime, and uh, wanted to know if there's anything you could do about his grade. I had an answer. And it's just like the Spirit said, don't do that. Don't, don't, don't. That will not bring glory to me. Man, that gets aggravating. Right? Okay, it won't bring glory to me. You may get it off your mind, and you may tell somebody something that's true. I could say, well, it's true, you know. Well, it doesn't matter. Does it bring glory to God? Look what Jesus said. I finished the work you gave me to do and brought glory to you. I say this. Do we ever ask ourselves? do we ever consider, is the work that I do during the week the kind of work that can bring glory to God? It doesn't mean you have to be in a church service or, or a ministry or some kind of church. But can I take care of children to the glory of God? Sure. Can, can, I, can I bag groceries to the glory of God? Can I, can I average grades to the glory? In other words, to do what? To make, God, to make much of Jesus, to make much of him to draw attention to him, to see the shining glory of him, to do all that. Yeah, Meg, Yeah, God didn't cause it, God didn't give it. She's saying with this brain cancer that we're praying about is that people are seeing something. What are they seeing? Somebody glorifying God, trusting him in the midst of what other people go, I don't understand that. I don't get that. She's making much of God, right? Meg, I know, know. You're, 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 you're making much of him. You know, I remember several years ago, it related, and we're praying for you. And we, we're just asking God to have mercy. When I, when I first uh, came to Mid-America 25 years ago, uh, there was some proceedings where they were going to, uh, the school was so in debt it was going to go out of business. I came anyway. And I worried about it you can imagine I left the church and, and <clears throat> they were taking good care of us. And I remember sitting down in my office one day with a legal pad. I hadn't, I knew, I've known Marty for a long time, but I wasn't going to church here. Um, he's not the only person who does this. Got a legal pad and I drew a line down the middle. And I, Becky, it was during the summer, Becky was at work and, and I was at home and I said, if I lose my car, Do I lose my purpose in life? If I lose my house, do I lose my purpose in life? If I lose my job, do I lose my purpose in life? If I lose my health, do I lose my purpose in life? I went through everything I could think of that I could lose. Ever and it was real. This wasn't an academic exercise. The first house we ever bought, I thought we're gonna lose. Because the school's going under, the the, the 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 move we had made to come up here, we're going under. I thought, well, what if, what if I lose my health? What, what if, what if I lose my job? Listen, listen. Even even this, listen. I, and it, I'm not saying this about Becky. I'm saying about me. But even if I lost my wife, she ran off and found somebody better. All she have to do is open her eyes, but, you know, <laughs> right? Would I lose my purpose in life? Not if my purpose is to bring glory to God, whatever happens. If that's my purpose. If my purpose is to increase my net worth, yeah, I could. If my purpose is to get more comfortable in life, yeah, I could. If my purpose is to have more ease and more affluence, yeah, I could lose it. All of that can be taken away like that. Jesus said, I completed the work you gave me to do. And that is to bring glory to God. I'll tell you, if, and I, I don't always live like that. I'm not, I'm not trying to act like I do but I'm going to tell you something. If you and I'd live like that, here's my hunch. Here's my hunch that when you wake up every morning, the devil's going to say this. Oh, no, they're awake again. Oh, no, they're awake again. These crazy people that believe that the the purpose of their life is like Jesus to bring glory to God. The stock market goes up, the stock market goes down. They still say, I want to bring glory to God, whatever happens. They get sick, they get well, I want to bring glory to God. Meg has to go through a brain tumor thing. She says, I'm gonna bring glory to God, healthy or in a brain tumor. I completed the work. You gave me to do. Remember the words of Paul, 1 Corinthians 10:31. So whatever you do, whether you eat or drink, do all to the glory of God. We're going to sing that song probably today, and the glory. I'd like for you to think about it. That this Christmas and this year, that that become a song that you sing in your life. Gloria in excelsis Deo. So would you think about doing this? What if this week do one thing? Just one. That you think brings glory to God. It could be greeting people at work with a smile. But it's not the act, it's why you're doing it. I'm doing this because I want to bring glory to God. It's let somebody in on memorial at Penn. That's our real sacrifice. At Memorial and Penn, let someone in. But don't all do it or we're gonna be there a month at the same time. You could do that. You know what? You could call somebody up that's sick and say, I'm praying for you. That you would live bringing glory to God, whatever happens. I, this isn't sappy stuff. This is what Jesus said is the purpose of life, that you and I would join the angels, Gloria, to bring glory to God. Now lift your heads. Let's look up. We're going to look up to the one who wants to see your face. Lord Jesus, in this season, help us hear your words, that we would know the posture of our prayer life, that we would know the person of heaven that we would engage our lives in the plan of God to know you and that we would live out our purpose to bring glory and honor, that we would make much of you in all that we do. And we pray it in Jesus' strong and mighty name. Amen.